All right, welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric, guys. This is episode 67. Before we jump into it, I'm going to do my reminder and tell everyone, please like, comment, subscribe. Um, if you have some balls, share our episodes. Um, and if you want to donate and help us continue doing this, yeah, all the links will be in the description. And we would love to take your money because it helps us a lot. Thank you. With all of that said, today we are joined by Nicole Papastavro, I said that right, right? Yes, you did. <laughs> and it's Greek. We just established that. Nicole is Greek. Mm -hmm. um, Nicole is the guitarist and lead vocalist for the band, progressive metal band, Kalias. Um, our listeners who are familiar with us probably already know the band Kalias because we were joined twice by my very old friend, JP, who is the drummer of this band. So that was one of the reasons I was like, all right, I want to get Nicole on, you know? And so I reached out to JP and I was like, well, you know, would Nicole talk to us too? So I could get her story and that's how this is happening. So welcome, Nicole. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you for coming. So before we like get into like your past and stuff, Brent and I definitely want to play your new single, um, which is The Dark Machine, correct? Um, so we're going to play that for our, our listeners so they can check it out and then we'll chat about it.
and we're back. <laughs> so we'll, we just cut it in there. But yeah, so I listened to this a couple days ago. Um, Brent and I give it a nice thorough viewing and listening. I watched the video too, which I thought was really dope. And I think this might be my favorite track so far that you guys have put out. Um, I think it, it, and you said this earlier before we got on that it, it might even be like the heaviest, like the most death metal oriented of your mm -hmm. tracks because you guys are more of like a progressive metal band and you know any music nerds out there they know the difference of those genres that i'm saying here but yeah. that track had a lot of elements of death metal in it and even elements of a black metal i felt in some of the riffs and your vocals as well i i felt like went to like a different level than previously like i can hear improvement in your vocals because i know that's new to you right you didn't always uh, do vocals correct correct yeah I, I do feel like it's it's getting better and better and I'm feeling um, more consistent with it. So thank you for noticing. And also the little, um, you know, let me just wait for this. <laughs> right now we're like, I was like, oh my God, I set myself Is something broken? We're in Manhattan right now. So typically it's us who has- No, I'm actually like in the woods at Chris's house. <laughs> so it's not like an area. Yeah, inside. normally we're the ones <laughs> <laughs> in the very quiet here <laughs> so you know the vocals that's something that you started to do later but when Kalias mm -hmm. began you guys were an instrumental band we were yeah so we didn't really know I mean we didn't have a plan to have vocals um but we also were never completely against it either so you know it was something like as we were writing songs for the album um you know we had it in the back of our minds like oh maybe like we'll do guest vocals for something or like maybe we'll add vocals like another album or two like down the line so it was kind of just in the back of our minds um and then after we we got invited to be on this uh no cover show um you know we got some advice from some music industry professionals and record label execs who all were like you guys should have vocals in in your songs yeah, it does <laughs> and you're like all right you know it's it like it adds for sure to your sound i think but you know yeah. before the vocals i think you guys already had a very clear sound that you were developing we did yeah it's like the and vocals though, I feel like those the songs version. didn't really call for for vocals you know a lot of them um a couple of them uh zaki had had brought in and of course there was just leads and just shred over the whole thing um you know the couple that i brought in uh, was definitely like more like riffy, like had some kind of like technical riffs in there. And, um, you know, we just kind of fused our, our sounds together. And I think after that, we started thinking about like, where are we going to go next? So, you know, after kind of having that experience on um, No Cover and, you know, for listeners that may not know, um, No Cover is a, a new TV series that's out um, from Hit Parader and Sumerian Records. And it is the first show that showcases um, bands playing their original music in front of a set of, you know, rock and roll judges. So, so the judges include Lizzie Hale, Tosin Abasi, um, Bishop cool. Briggs, Alice Cooper, Gavin Rossdale. Wow. So it's pretty I, was, cool. I was just thinking of Tosin because I was thinking of Animals as Leaders when we were, you know, talking about your earlier sound and being yeah. an instrumental band. And there is something about being an instrumental band that makes the sound unique because it's like you have to talk with the instruments like yes they become the vocals in a absolutely sense. you know you talk with the guitars you talk with the melodies you talk with the rhythms and mm -hmm. i don't know it's 
it's definitely different, you know, but when you start adding vocals on to that is, I guess I feel like Kalias is now reaching their more final form in, in their sound. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. No, who, yeah, knows? who knows? It's, it's, it's progressive metal. So it's continuously progressing, right? So we'll, we'll see where it goes. And, and I like that you, you mentioned that you heard a couple um, uh, black metal elements in there as well. Um, which was uh, intentionally put in, you know, vocal wise. Um, and, you know, JP and I love black metal. We love death metal. So I feel like this song was kind of like, you know, a collection of me and JP's uh, like favorite bands, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> What's yeah. The, um, can I ask um, what the difference between black and death metal is? I'm going to let Nicole take that one. I, I can explain <laughs> it, but maybe she's better than me. Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not like a massive black metal connoisseur, um, but there are a handful of bands that um, that really influenced me. And, and one of them is obviously uh, Damien Borgir. Um, another one that I got a lot of vocal inspiration from is uh, Abigail Williams. Okay. So, An emperor. Yeah. I mean, emperor is like... Yes, Ishan. Yeah. Oh, me and JP are like the biggest like Ishan fans. So <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up too. So, you know, like it's just kind of a collection of that and, um, you know, just adding in like little, little elements here and there. So really like the, the elements that we kind of added for this song was just, um, I tried to do a little bit more like highs and like raspy vocals in a couple sections. So that was kind of like my little take on it. Let me add a little like, you know, blackened yeah. twists to, to I, I, caught, I definitely caught it. I caught that edge to it. You know, that was mm -hmm. why I brought it up. I'm like, yeah, there's definitely some black metal elements in here. To answer Brent's mm -hmm. question, though, um, a lot of it has to do with, I think, the atmosphere of the guitars, for sure. I find black mm -hmm. metal tends to have more atmospheric type guitar sounds, really spacier sound, but more raw sounding, a lot of black mm -hmm. metal. Typically, they'll, they won't, like, overly master these things. They keep the instruments very raw. And usually slower you know when i think of death metal i think speed when i think of black metal i don't always think speed you know because there there are except for drums yes so the drums definitely are, are a huge thing that makes black metal black metal but also the vocals so death metal typically you're going to hear more like the growls like the Ugh, right black mm -hmm. metal you hear a lot of sort of like screeching like ah Oh, okay. Or like, like goblin yes. as opposed to orc. More goblin as opposed gotcha. to orc. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. And also like the region and the history behind like black metal started in Norway in that area. Oh. You know, these people live in the forests and shit, <laughs> like very isolated. And it almost has that isolated kind of sound to it too. Like you're in yeah. the, the woods with snow falling on your little cabin and like yeah know. and like with with the new song um the dark machine it's uh it's a song about winter and and the colds so i don't know if you got a chance to you know read the lyrics and stuff i did not read the lyrics yet but yeah it's like um i mean it, the song is it's about winter and it's about the alpine and ice climbing you know even though it's not directly directly said, that is what it's what it's about. So it does have that very like cold element to it, and um, we tried to portray that in in the video as well. Another thing I wanted to tell Brent too, and for him, you know this stuff already, but black metal also has a sort of a long taboo history and association mm -hmm. with Satanism and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it typically gets a bad name, but you know not all black metal has anything to do with that. 
you know, there's a lot of black metal that has absolutely nothing to do with anti-Christian themes or in that sort of thing. Yeah. But traditionally, a lot of it did come from that kind of uh, angst about religion and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very dark music. And there's a lot of crazy stories in the black metal world. Like, I'm not even going to go into like Burzum and, and things like that. You know, people can look that up. Go look up Burzum. Yeah, I just think <laughs> that. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm going to backtrack a bit. And I wanted to... I wanted to get more more biographical details about the coal. Where where are you from? You know, what's your heritage? Where were you born? And we'll mm -hmm. we'll kind of just start with that. Yeah, so I was born in West LA. I uh, grew up by Venice and lived in NorCal for a little bit too. Um, I'm half Greek, half Jordanian. Cool. Uh, I speak Greek <laughs> too. Uh, and um, I moved to New York actually when I was like, I think I was like 23 or something, 23, 24, and pretty much lived in New York for most of my adult life until about two and a half years ago when the pandemic hit. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to do the bi-coastal thing uh, for a while. Um, but, you know, like all the bands that I had been in um, after that period were, you know, New York. So I was in like three different bands in New York, um, including um, Collius right now. So now I am back in L.A. Um, and I'm just flying out here, you know, to play shows and shoot music videos and rehearse with the guys like whenever I can. And, you know, start our first East Coast run this um, Friday, the 24th. I think a lot of bands after, you know, the, the situation over the last two years and, and everyone's lives being overturned, a lot of bands did end up in that situation where, you know, they were across the country from each other or some people ended up having to leave because they, you know, lost a job or things like that. And that's becoming more and more normal where bands are kind of having to write music from long distances. And it's interesting to see the Internet and computers changing the way even music is composed like we used to have to be in the same room together to, to do that process and now you, you don't have to do that like like look at tools last record i know it took forever for that to come out but uh that was how they wrote it they were all living in different parts of the country at the time you know writing their ideas out recording ideas and then sending those over to each other and that was kind of, that was how they put the whole record together mm -hmm. but i imagine that does make the process take a little longer it does unfortunately yeah, it's I think it's harder for um, for everyone to stick to a schedule um, when you're not like physically together because you just have so many other distractions going on in your lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't, I can't really speak for everybody, but just as a whole, like it, the process did take um, much longer. And then, of course, you know, trying to like jam in real time, like we're we're on FaceTime, but then at the same time, we're trying to like play back what's coming out of our DAW and like screen share. And so we're like screen sharing on a computer and then FaceTiming on the phone and trying to do it that way. And, you know, trying to figure out how to get the audio from the DAW to come out from like Zoom or Skype. And we just like gave up and we're like, all right, let's just keep doing it this way. Yeah. Plus the, the time zone difference too, definitely, you know, makes it a little more difficult to coordinate schedules and get everyone together. Yeah, kind of. Because you're know. like, on, you're on the other coast, so. Exactly. So yeah. when, when did you pick up the guitar and when did you realize that you wanted to be a musician? Um, I picked up the guitar when I was like nine or 10 years old. Um, 
and I didn't really know like what I was doing back then. I just knew that I wanted to learn songs from like my favorite bands that I was hearing on the radio. Um, I didn't really get into metal until, you know, I was a teenager and that was gonna be my that was gonna be my next question <laughs> was, yeah did you get into metal and what, when did you decide that you know that was the style of music you wanted to play because another mm -hmm. subject we're going to get into after this is you know women in metal and there aren't mm -hmm. very many women in metal mm -hmm. so how did you get involved in that scene what bands did you first hear that made you feel like like i want to be a part of this i like what this is yeah so naturally um i always was gravitating to kind of like heavier music um but you know i didn't have anyone in my family that was musical or anyone to really influence me so you know of course i started with what i was hearing on the radio which was like you know pearl jam and nirvana and um Alice in Chains, stuff like that. Grunge. And yeah, like grunge, right? Because that, to me, like, that was, like, pretty heavy hearing that stuff yeah. uh, on the radio. And, and Metallica, well, of course. In the 90s, grunge was the wave, you know? It was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't until, like, you know, I I got to, I think it was junior high or high school where, um, you know, but it was I was barely meeting people that even, like, played uh, electric guitar. You know, it was either like, oh, you like play acoustic, you know, yeah. I'm like, no, I play electric, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started meeting some guys and they were like burning me CDs and someone burnt me um, uh, a Zach Wild CD. I mean, it, it just said Zachy Wild on it. Yeah. I didn't know who that was. Um, and it happened to be a Black Label Society CD. So I was like whoa, these are like really heavy riffs. Like I didn't know like guitar could sound, yeah. you know? So I think that really clicked for me um, when I heard that. And then, you know, just exchanging more music with friends. Like I think someone um, gave me like an Avenged Sevenfold CD and then like a Diecast CD, just kind of random like bits here and there. Um, and then just finding out about, about more stuff, you know, after that Fear Factory Slow, slowly getting heavier and heavier. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is the next step. Like, this is this is even heavier. Like, you know, what's next? <laughs> yeah, and then like, and then discovering, you know, bands like Necrophagist, and I'm like, yes. like, like actually really technical. You know, there's a lot going on here. So yeah, I I, I yeah. saw Necrophagist back way back in the day, man. I was like 16. I saw them at a little club and. They blew me away. Um, I'm trying to remember the guitarist's name. How was his name? Mohammed. That guy, Mohammed. And then Marco Miniman played drums for them. And mm -hmm. me and JP were like huge fans of Marco Miniman. You know, when yeah. the pages first came out, we were like, this shit is crazy. This is so mm -hmm. heavy. So is that know, the, that's a math metal? Yeah. So their, their technical death metal is, I guess, if you want to use the subgenre name. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. And usually technical death metal has a lot of really fast guitars and complicated solos and sweeps, you know, and things like that in it. <laughs> but yeah, Necrophages was a really crazy band. I remember that. You just brought me back a bit. <laughs> but yeah. my, my journey was similar to yours. You know, I started with more lighter bands like Metallica and things like that. I was listening to Nirvana, but I was listening to some pop punk stuff too, like Blink-182 and those things when I was like in middle school. And then Slipknot, I think, was the first band where I realized there's another level of heavy. <laughs> yeah. And 
And Slipknot, you know, there's even heavier bands than them, but I think they were the first really like intense band that I got, got into. I was a very angsty kid, you know, I was in the closet, all types of things. And bands like Slipknot definitely resonated with my angst and a lot of youth during my era. So they were huge. They, they changed the whole game, you know, no one had ever seen the gimmicks and the masks and all that stuff. And plus the drumming was so intense. And I think Slipknot was one of the first bands to really have a drummer with doing double bass and things like that hit the mainstream level. So mm-hmm. when Joey Jordison died, that like, that, that there was so much grief through the whole music community because he influenced everyone, not just drummers, but you know, he influenced everyone because that sound was, it was, it was, impactful it was new no one had ever heard it like that so plus the hip-hop elements and the other things that they were doing that were just like no one was doing really that, just the, shock, the shock value as well yes. you know that yeah. played oh, a really sure. huge part in metal oh for sure for sure yeah so um one of the topics i wanted to get into is is women in metal you know i mentioned earlier there's not very many women in metal and this was something like i noticed very young but back when I was a teenager, one of my favorite bands was uh, Arch Enemy. Um, and I thought I was her name, Angela Goskow. Yeah. yeah, I thought, like, when I first saw her, that was the first time I realized just how, like, metal women could be. <laughs> yeah. And and she, like, hung with all the big dudes in, in the genre and toured with all the big bands and was just as intense, just as brutal on stage. And I got to see them live and stuff. They were an awesome band, and there's there's definitely some aspects of your sound that reminded me a bit of Arch Enemy as well. Were you a fan of them? Um, I can't say that I was. Um, I do like a lot of their stuff, but I was never really like uh, I never really dug deep and became like a, a huge fan. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Loomis. Um, I'm not even gonna tell you. Well, I, I did, actually I should just tell you guys. He is going to be guesting on the upcoming record. Ooh. Oh, is this an exclusive? So, yeah, this is very exclusive. Exclusive announcement. I didn't even hold it in. <laughs> well, you spilled the beans. Well, thank you so much for breaking I'm out. I'm so the excited. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, super stoked about that. Um, but you're actually not the first person that said um, that it reminded you of Angela, you know? Um, I, think, I think there's a reason for that, though. And yeah, I think it's just because. Angela was really one of the first female vocalists to do harsh vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm looking at other bands here, Nightwish, you know, Within Temptation, Epica, Lacuna Coil. I saw Lacuna Coil live too many years ago. They were outstanding. Yeah. But, you know, all those bands, they, they have clean singing vocals. Whereas mm-hmm. our, Arch Enemy was like, you have a chick up there and she's not going to, ah, she's, ah, and that no, was. She's, she's amazing. And yeah. and so is their, their, um, their singer yeah. now too, Elisa. She's, she's a force to be reckoned with yeah. as well. <laughs> so Angela really, I feel like passed the torch to yes. the right person. For sure. She certainly paved the way. And I think because mm-hmm. she paved the way, it's inevitable, I think, that any, band that follows um with the female vocalist who's doing the harsh style vocals it's probably you're probably always going to get compared to her in some capacity yeah Yeah. i suppose yeah i suppose so right yeah but um you know do you do you find that you know there's issues being a woman in metal or do you find that it's just it's something you're you're embraced as you know because i personally found like when i was going to shows when i was young there were always chicks there there weren't a lot of them in bands um, but they were a huge part of the scene. So I knew women liked metal. It's just, I, for some reason, I didn't see a, a lot of women playing metal music. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, are they just here with your boyfriends? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's always the assumption, right? I mean, when I first started touring, um, you know, when I was 18, that was always the assumption that I got to, that I was either like the merch girl or like <laughs> the merch girl. friend or something. And eventually I just got so used to it that I would just start like saying yeah. yes and just bypassing it. <laughs> and they, I walk through the venue and they're like, oh, like, or, you know, the merch, the merch section is over there. And I'm like carrying everything like gear, merch, like, you know, helping our drummer. Like, So eventually I'm like, okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> And I go set everything up and then like get on stage and then get the apologies afterwards. Like, oh, sorry, you know. No, I didn't realize you were in the band. Oh, shit. I thought- <laughs> really? Why not? <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> it's just because, you know, metal as as a genre is definitely, you know, it's, it's perceived as very masculine. It, and, and it is, you know, it's like a tough mm-hmm. genre and men obviously are more, you know, tough. That's just how we are. So I mm-hmm. think it's inevitable. But, um, it reminds me a bit of some of the things that I talked about JP with JP in the last episode regarding the band Cynic. Um, and we were talking about Paul Masvidal and Sean Reiner and, you know, them being gay men in the metal scene. It's very similar. It's just maybe now it's common, but at the time it was not like a thing. And to, to be gay men in the metal scene, same sort of thing, I think it's being a woman in the metal scene. It's perceived as like, oh, you're not masculine enough. And I think it took a while for this stigma to fall away in the metal world. And now it, you know, it's more inclusive or whatever. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's funny to even think that because it was always supposed to be yeah. inclusive. It's supposed to be rebellious. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a very rebellious uh, genre. So you would think like, you know, anybody, no matter what your interest or your sexuality or your gender or, you know, whatever you believe in religiously, like should be accepted, no matter how weird these normal people think it is. Right. <laughs> so I don't I know. Think, I, I think there's I, a place for everyone. And in, in yes, so, absolutely. And, um, and as far as women, you know, I think like it, it, it was an issue more than it is now. I think now you're, we're finally seeing like so many more women taking these roles, you know, and, and not just as like vocalists, but, you know, guitar players and drummers and bass players and, um, you know, any other instrument you can, you can think of, which is really cool now. And, um, and I feel like because of that, it's, and because of um, so many women that have uh, paved the way as well, which I, you know, I have to shout out Nita Strauss because I really do believe that she. Um, what uh, what band is she in? I'm not familiar. Uh, Nita Strauss uh, plays for Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, okay. Yeah, so you I know, think I, I think she follows me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she. I really feel like she paved the way for a lot of um, female guitarists now because. I think now there's just been a whole influx of uh, female guitar players in in the metal industry, and it's it's really awesome to see so many women getting inspired to to pick up the guitar and play heavy music. It's awesome. Nina Strauss. Nita. See, I was just looking. Nina Strauss. With a T. Oh, she's thirty five. Mm-hmm. She's pretty young. She's pretty. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, I love it, man. I I love seeing all types of people in metal music, and and I think uh you know. One of the aspects of it too, you know, I'm talking about this whole idea of it being masculine and it being aggressive, but I think aggression is is an, a valid emotion, one. Um, 
two, anyone's going to experience that. So I think that can resonate with people across the board. But, you know, like I'm thinking about my grandma and how she used to criticize metal. She would say, oh, you know, that's not music. That's just noise. And I'm like, all right, grandma, you know, I understand you're from a different time. She couldn't stand it. And I used to like argue with her over this stuff until I was like, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to walk away. But I think part of it is people have this idea that like music should always soothe or music should always, you know, sound pretty or something like that. And mm. I don't know. I think music is an art form. And I think art should express the full range of human emotions and human experiences. Mm. And aggression and anger is a very valid, real human emotion and experience. And genres like metal express that better, that emotion better than like any other music genre I can think of besides maybe like hip hop perhaps. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of those, um, you know, descriptions are are very subjective too. You know, yeah. to think that something is is art and beautiful, like, can mean so many, so many different things because it could it could have a very dark sound to it. But you know, if you think dark is beautiful, then it is. You know, so. yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's part of our reality. So, yeah. who, who are some of your, you know, you mentioned a couple already, but your biggest influences, your your favorite bands now. Um, number one, I'm always gonna have to go with Opeth. They've, they've been such a such a big influence. Same. Um, yeah, Ishan, Decapitated, Meshuga. Meshuga. Um, yep. yeah. yeah. Opeth is they are they're top tier to me. I think they're one of the greatest bands in the world right now. Yep. Yeah, and Michael Ackerfeld, that guy, man, what a what a voice, what a musical genius he is. Mm -hmm. so, yes, musical genius. <laughs> the pleasure of seeing them a couple times as well and big opeth fan shout out to opeth even though they'll never watch this <laughs> and yeah mashuga you know jp and i have talked a lot about mashuga on the show as well and bands like them you know they, they are another example of really pushing the envelope of metal and almost they founded a whole genre i mean like we talk about gent music now right like it's a weird name for a genre, but that whole style like literally comes directly from Mashuga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I don't really use that word. To yeah, categorize it weird. When, when I first encountered that word, I was like, "What the hell is this?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's an onomatopoeia. It's an onomatopoeia. It's supposed to be like the yeah. and it's called gent. I got it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of It's so silly to me still. Like what? It's dark. Like it's metal. <laughs> it is metal. It is metal. But I think you know they're trying to find a way to describe that particular sound of metal with the a subgenre of a subgenre. Subgenre of subgenre. But that's how, that's how music is, though. You know, it, it starts to fraction into all of these little subgenres inevitably because you know musicians yeah. we're creative. We get bored. You know, once a genre gets set in, it starts to become generic, and then you get a million bands trying to emulate the same thing. I know. You want to like really pinpoint it, like no, but we're like blackened progressive death. <laughs> Black and progressive death. Fill in the blank. Electro, yeah. electro metal. Exactly. Electro death core. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I listened to like genres like that a lot when I was younger too, like death core. And, you know, I was basically taking mm -hmm. death metal and fusing it with hardcore and you get death. Yeah. So it's just, but I mean, I that's that. definitely a, a genre that has it blown is. up though, you know? Oh, yeah. Death core became huge when it first came out. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Suicide Silence. Like they're, oh, yeah. they're killing it. Yeah, they are. I remember when oh, those are the homies. <laughs> yeah, Mitch was like when I was young. I thought he was one of the like really best vocalists at that time. You know, in yeah. that era. his death was really tragic too. I remember 
when that mm. happened. It was a motorcycle accident, right? Yeah. I think it was. But yeah, you know, there's, I don't know. I don't know, man. I I love metal because of all the subgenres. <laughs> I like it is that there's so many different styles of metal. It reminds me of jazz. And I love, you know, when you find jazz and metal. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cynic. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> we're uh, we're actually we're going to have a special guest on from Cynic very soon. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of just hinted already at that, so I won't say any more. But that's the first announcement. Anyone else, you know, listening, they'll probably be able to guess. Yeah, I think I know who it is. Yeah, but it's cool. I'm I'm really excited about that conversation because we're mm -hmm. going to talk about some of the things I discussed with JP and that I mentioned here. You know being gay in the metal world and that that sort of thing but also you know different genres and and pushing the envelope in progressive metal right it's like cynic and, and death and th those bands like they started they started that um but uh you know death in particular i think has a special special place in my heart and the whole metal world's hearts uh what do you think about death and chuck schuldiner was he an influence on you oh yeah absolutely I mean, they're another band that just, you know, paved the way and another one which, you know, created this genre. Yeah, so I know I like to talk a lot of shit about, um, you know, Gent coming from Meshuggah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Death death Metal came from the band Death, right? So we do, like, have to thank them for that. And, and you know, just coming up with those just really evil-sounding harmonies. So. <laughs> Chuck didn't like, he didn't like to claim responsibility for founding the genre, though. He, I know. He, it's always someone else that's like, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. death metal, you know, like the band Death. Or it's well, like Gent, like Meshuggah, you know? <laughs> we talked about, you know, how a genre can be formed and it can become generic and almost stale over time. And it's just fascinating because that's, mm -hmm. that is what Chuck felt was already happening. You know, mm -hmm. it's like he was a part of that first wave and helped found the genre. And then yeah. over time, he found it to start to get stale. And then I would say around, probably after spiritual healing, you know, when, when they put human out and he, he just wanted to get away from that stigma of like, you know, metal has to be all dark and about like evil things and zombies and, and demons and stuff. And he wanted mm -hmm. to start writing about philosophical things, you know, like, like life in the universe and, and you know, understanding That's something. Wrong with that. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's just crazy because Death founded Death Metal and then went on to basically found Prog Metal as well. So you can't you can't understate the influence of someone like Chuck Schuldiner. Like like people mm -hmm. like him are one of a kind. They only come around probably every decade, you know? Yeah, I agree. So what what's your writing process like? You know, how how do you come up with ideas? How, you know, how do you figure out what you want to write about say in your themes and your messages like what motivates you um so my writing process has you know obviously been um very guitar driven because i pretty much just play guitar i mean i only started kind of experimenting with like programming things in the last um like few years so you know very much like guitar based um either starting with a, a clean melody or just a riff and taking it from there, sending it off to um, the band to kind of like see what they think. And if they want to like add something to it, then I just kind of continue from there. So that's kind of been the process of um, this record that we've been 
we've been working on and you know half of it we've had to do in separate rooms so you know sometimes it's it's a song that i start like i'll have like a few riffs together and i'll send it over uh to jp and jp will you know jam to it like on a video and i'll extract the audio from that and you know based off what he played i might get an idea for what i want to do next so that's kind of how we've been how we've been doing it um as far as adding vocals to the mix um i think everything's going to be done much differently for the next record because i feel like what we did um for this last one is kind of ass backwards now that we added vocals and <laughs> i only just realized that because all of these songs were mostly instrumental and we just kind of like had in mind um you know the structure like okay we're going to structure it like this because now we have vocals um, but we have no idea what the vocals are going to sound like. And they didn't come until the last minute. Hmm. So it's like we had an album and then I'm like, all right, now I need to like figure out what the fuck to write about. Like, I don't fucking know what the fuck am I going to write about? <laughs> that was going to be my next question. That was going to be my next question. You know, wrote lyrics before yeah. it was, I was dreading this. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, people ask me like, what, what are your songs about? You know, and musically, I'm just like, I don't know what they're what they're about you know oh chris is here <laughs> yeah that was gonna be my question though hey, you can totally pop in came at the perfect time because we're no where you came at the perfect time because we're talking about um hey. how we wrote vocals in the writing process oh <laughs> hey. that's an interesting conversation i was telling them how um we kind of did this album ass backwards not knowing that we were gonna put vocals and um, here, let me just position this. So do, do you think the sound, though, would have come out substantially different, though, if you planned the vocals from the beginning? Because maybe the reason it sounds the way it does now is because the process happened that way. And yeah. it, it would be something totally different if it didn't happen in that way. That I think so. And I think, um, you know, the last song on the record kind of made me realize um, that I want to try writing um, vertically for the next record because, you know, Chris came in with some vocals on this song and it made me want to restructure and change the entire thing based off of what he did a melody that he sang. And I'm like, Oh my God, like it was just kind of a turning point for me. Like, you know, maybe we need to, maybe we need to write in sections while writing, um, you know, vocal patterns and melodies. And then that might get, might give us an idea of what we're going to do with the rest of the song based off of that. I personally love Chris's vocals. I think it's interesting to hear that alternative rock sound almost fused into progressive metal and death metal. Because it definitely stands out when his parts come on. You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> so it, it definitely it highlights his vocals when you contrast them to say what you're doing with, with yours. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, point that you bring up. But I'm glad that you, you kind of heard the nuance. I mean, that's a lot of my background is like, like yeah, I'm jazz and classically trained, but loved hard rock. Grew up in the new metal, you know, like when I was a teenager. So when it comes to the vocal stuff, there's a lot of inspiration from those bands and and uh, bringing that to this music. Um, you know, we, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you talked about our car ride when this kind of all started. Not yet. We were in LA. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's when we discovered that Nicole had these vocals that she didn't share with us. I didn't car. know I had it them. It was sing-along. What did you just start going, ah! And you're yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I'll learn how to scream. How hard could it be? Ah! It came to a stop. Everyone was just like, <laughs> like, girl, you can do this. What are you talking about? And she was like, oh, you didn't know that I had this? They were like, no. And she's like, well, you can sing. I was like, yeah, but we never talked about these vocals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talking about the, the song structure and, you know, I think we're at an advantage and the song's coming out very unique because we started instrumental. And so a lot of the music was written that way. And then we slowly started to kind of change. Let's make these small little alterations to make room for the vocals. Okay. Um, and so a lot of the original writing and style and the linearity of the music kind of remains. Um, but we, we got these little pockets in there and created, you know, these little places for vocals, really trying to avoid that standard, like, sonata form of, like, A, B, A, B, bridge, A, you know, and um, what you hear so much of in today's music. Yeah. And look, that it, it is effective. It is effective. There's a reason that format is so standard because it's an effective format but you know look when we're dealing with prog metal the whole point is you you want it rules out the window <laughs> yeah, you know, those rules don't apply you want you want the complex structure you want the dynamics like one of my favorite bands is between the berry to me like probably my favorite oh, yeah. band Love of, them. of all time actually is between the berry to me and they're very much like that they're so dynamic as a band so dynamic like and they were doing that from the very beginning. They were doing the clean vocals and fusing that with the harsh vocals. And they got shit for that. A lot of bands, when they started doing that, got shit for it. And, you know, Nicole and I, we were, we were talking about, you know, aggression in metal and how metal's aggressive. It took a while for that stigma to start to, or that trend to kind of go away. And for metal, well, not go away, but for metal to start to embrace other sort of styles coming in. Like, you don't always have to be heavy. You can do something else. And when those bands started doing that at first, it was really difficult for them. They It was hard for them to get on shows and not get heckled by people sometimes because it's not pure or brutal enough. Like, what is this pussy yeah. singing part? Like, go back to the, the blast beats. And I mean, at some point, you need a palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is why Prague always resonated with me as a genre because, you know, it took all my favorite elements of heavy music and fused them with all my favorite elements of other styles of music like jazz and, and rock and, and those sorts of things. I get bored when the structure of the song is redundant for any extended period of time. So, that's what I, one of the things I liked about your guys' music is that you've got the, but like <laughs> then you actually have like the flowy harmonies and the melodies and it, it changes, it's progressive, and that's why I, I enjoy it. It reminded me, actually, it's funny that you said new metal, Chris, because it reminded me of uh, Linkin Park. Was... Well, Linkin Park's not really new metal. Yeah. You know, rock. I've, we've heard that a few times, and I definitely, uh, I was just one of the few people who like, avoided ever absorbing Linkin Park as much as possible. Yeah, I didn't want to offend you guys. Or I like hybrid theory. <laughs> I thought hybrid theory was good. Hybrid theory is a Canadian station. Uh, on during like 2004 to 2007 and it just didn't stop it was yeah. just Lincoln yeah. Park all day yeah. they were huge they were huge you know all the sad angsty kids but we all fucking loved it we were sad we were like I'm Chester please sing to me about your sadness I'm sad too <laughs> no hybrid yeah. like, you know bands like that yeah. and like Mudvayne and Slipknot yeah. you know they, they they really resonated you know with that with that uh, demographic and I think you know, the music has matured really far from there. And, you know, that's a lot of our roots when we were younger. Um, 
And, you know, to talk about the purity aspect of it, I've always um, really put a lot of effort in finding the the beauty in some of the chaos or the beauty in the brutality because it's there. And I think, um, you know, I've had my whole life when you're a metalhead, you know this, you're battling every opinion about how this is just, you know, uh, angry music, you know, and, I and that's just, all it is. Just I'm like, I'm done telling Nicole like that. My grandma and I used to argue about this stuff because I would have metal on and don't turn that off. That's not music. That's just noise. And like, yeah. 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 And you can write a really mean riff and just feel joy and comfort from it. You know? no, <laughs> you for know? me, I think the the most the most like the extreme version for me is like a band like Hatebreed. And everyone's like, this is so full of hate. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is inspiration. This is inspiration. <laughs> they're like heavy metal cheerleaders. That's Come it. On. They're just, you know, they're just like egging you on the whole time. Really I've seen, pumping I've seen hate breed. I saw them when I was. The motivational there. speech. Their pits were crazy, man. Hatebreed was big back in the day in the hardcore scene. Like, their pits were some of the craziest I've ever seen. Like, those guys were, like, getting fights and shit, too. But Jamie Josta was huge, you know? Like, Headbangers Ball, all of that. Yeah. That's another thing that really certainly changed the metal game. It it, it legitimized us as a genre. Um, and b before then, you know, we were very, very underground. And then once, you know, you got a show on MTV that specialized in metal, it was like, wow, yeah. this, this is a legitimate genre of music now. It, it felt like it was getting recognized in the mainstream. Oh, yeah. yeah, now let's just try to bring it back, see if that can actually happen again. <laughs> that would be cool. They should bring Headbangers Ball back because that's still around. It's not around, right? He's got his own podcast now, and I, I, I'm not sure if he does any sort of other show. I got to let me know. Reality shows. <laughs> It's just reality shows, <laughs> metal reality shows. I still have not seen the episode with you guys on. I have to go check that out. Oh, yeah. Go check yeah, it out. It's fun. JP sent me a link, but I'll ask him again. I'll ask him again. But yeah, man, I don't know. It's just metal gets a bad rap. It is what it is. And over time, I just kind of accepted that it's, it's always going to be, you know, niche. And it's never going to be everyone's cup of tea. And that's fine. You know, they don't have to like it. You know, I'm sure we have a lot of viewers of our podcast who don't like this genre at all. And that's totally fine by me. They can go listen to someone else. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talked to other people. Totally fine. So you can just go fuck yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> very metal attitude of you, Danny. It is a very metal attitude. That is an attitude, though. And that's what that's another thing I always loved so much about metal as a genre is that it was it was about that, you know, individualism, um, you know, challenging authority questioning reality, questioning religion, you know, all those things. And my young mind was very much questioning all those things already. So to find that in music, I wasn't finding it in pop. I wasn't finding it in the mainstream. I was just finding like, oh, heartbreak and all that. That wasn't the stuff that, that I wanted to hear. You know, I had bigger, deeper questions and I found that stuff in metal. You know, when I was reading between the Buried Me's lyrics, like colors, like, oh my God. That's poetry. You know, you read that. It's like, wow, all this social commentary about our society. And, and that was the stuff that I wanted to hear, you know. And I'm glad metal did eventually go toward that stuff. And, you know, we have de death to thank for that, for founding death metal and then for abandoning death metal. And, <laughs> and then slowly going away from death metal and being like, all right, we're going to write about deep stuff and like we're going to have more melodies and more, you know, progressive elements to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was talking to JP and one of the things we were discussing was like, would death have really continued if Chuck lived? I don't think it would have. That's my opinion. Um, maybe they would have, but he was already going away from that, man. The only reason that 
Control Denied record came out was because he had to agree to do an, another death record. He didn't really want to do another death record. He was kind of already checked out of the band because, you know, he got tired of being pigeonholed. Like, oh, this is what metal must be. Or like, you know, it has to be all these dark things. And he was like, yeah, I want to do something else. Yeah, I don't like being pigeonholed. I think the common theme for for all metalheads, and I don't I don't know if I speak for everyone, but there's just something cathartic about it, yes. you know. And that's what it is. There's a release yes. that you get from from listening to it that's really physical, um, because of the aggression, right? Uh -huh. And when we work together to have these really brutal parts, we're like, well, let's put this, you know, let's put this juxtaposed to this other section and really take this person on this journey. We, a lot of our songs are those journeys, right? That linear journey um and i think that's you know something we really try to do is just have those the, the dynamics the change right and, and let people experience that because uh, everyone's human they have so many different dynamics in their life and i think like if you just constantly brutal on the, the record the whole time yeah. for me after track three i'm like okay i'm ready for some folk music now because i, I my ears like you know yes and, uh, when you yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, I can jump from like, you know, Flesh God Apocalypse and then I'll be like, all right, let me put some Coltrane on right now and just, yeah, oh, put, Coltrane, gonna, I love it. I'm going to put some Mark Knopfler on and just cleanse the palate. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you mentioned cathartic and I really agree with that, what you said there, that metal is like a release. And, you know, I mentioned when I was younger, I was very angsty and angry kid. I was in the closet and all that stuff dealing with my sexuality. And actually I found a place in metal to help me put those emotions in a way and to express it in a healthy way without like hurting myself or, or doing something stupid. So, you know, when, whenever I would be down or depressed or something was bothering me, I would go to band practice mm -hmm. and just jam out. And for those few hours, like all my problems were gone. I wasn't even thinking about any of that stuff. I was so in the moment and I was releasing that stuff, all that anger, all that aggression, that confusion. And then I would come home from band practice and I'd feel lighter. I'd feel like my load was lifted. Yeah. Same with going to a concert you know, go, going to a great show and, and seeing a band. And then afterward I get out and I'm tired and exhausted, but I feel lighter. I feel like I just had like a, a religious experience almost. Yes, I love it. I love when you see a band and you it feels like a religious experience. You know? It is though, it's, it's very much like a secular ritual. You yeah. know, music very much does come from religion. We, we can't even separate that honestly now it's separated it's profane most music it's not <laughs> considered sacred right but all music started as sacred if you go back mm -hmm. to the earliest human civilizations and culture you know all music was in a sense devoted toward the creation of and the divine right and, mm -hmm. you know before before uh you know maybe even speech but i think i think they actually probably came around the same time you know when we're talking we could also do this you know like you don't, you don't need to even make an instrument. It's communicative and, and ritualistic as well, you know. But a community too, you know, it bonded people together. Mm -hmm. And it still, it still has that role in our society very much so. You know, some of, some of the greatest people, most interesting people I ever met, you know, I met, I met through music. Yeah, yeah. I, guess I, I could say the same, you know. And then just like a sense of family too, like actually being in a band. And yes. You know, Chris and I have been, um, you know, we have history. We've been in like two other bands together. 
It's like being in a big marriage, but without. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I always joke, you know, when you're in a band, it's like dating four people at once, it you is. know, without and, the sex. And if there is sex involved, then that might complicate. Without the sex, yeah. Oh, so it's like not, how much pleasure are you getting from these relationships, right? So you don't have your guitars in your hands. You know? uh, the, finish, the finished product, the songs. Yeah. You know? Oh God. Yeah. Something to the the interaction, the you know jamming together is kind of almost you know. It, Daniel describes it before as like a, you know, an energetic exchange. So it is, it's similar to, you know, like romantic relationships in that there's that give, that take, that negotiation, you that listen, discovery. To listen, feel each other. Absolutely. You know, and, and when you're on, you know, you think about, you know, when we're on stage, you always think about like, one of these times in your lives where you're, you're in the moment and that's like the most in the moment you can possibly be, whether it, for Nicole, it's like maybe she's on the side of a cliff or me, it's like I'm hiking into a ridge or something. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he's like, you know, when you're, when, when you're getting, you know, when you're in bed and you're getting dirty or you're on stage and you're getting dirty, like <laughs> those are the times where it's like, you know, that's the, the, the highs that we experience, right? In life. And I think music, when you can, form that bond when you're on stage with each other and connect with the audience. That's like the highest in life. I think you can get, you know, and I think that's, those are the moments that we strive for. And when we hear, you know, you know, that people are enjoying like my vocals or you're, they're enjoying the new things with Nicole or, or they're even offering some constructive cr criticism. It's like, you know, I think I, I can speak for us that like, you know, this is the most feedback that we've gotten. And, you know, it's been great to just hear, that people are getting something positive from our music. And that may have been the case before, but now we're, we're, we're you know, people are a lot more connected. You know, it's all these social networks. I mean, it's just like you're connected 24 seven. So we're getting all this feedback and it's just been great to, to see that those connections are being made. And those moments that maybe you experienced when you were younger, maybe we're giving those moments to those, to those people in need, like in those times and they're feeling it. And I, I love that. Yeah, it's a service. I do. I very much view music as a service. And I know a lot of artists are selfish and we can be, you know, a lot of art can be very self-centered. But even then, it's still it's a service. You know, you're you're providing something for someone. It's, you know, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Yes, we can do it for ourselves and just play music. But it's almost like a waste if you make beautiful art and then no one gets to experience. Yeah, I think it's a way of, of us, um, you know, as artists uh, trying to connect with people Yeah. as well through our music. Like, like soul, you know, we, we made this for us, but we also made this in hopes that you're going to enjoy it the way that we do. I love that. And I think, you know, we, it comes from inside, right? And, and it's not like you have a choice. You said service, like people have like a call to service. When you're like a musician, it's like a call to service or an artist, any sort of artist. And I've had this conversation with artist friends in the past. And it's now uh, when you reconnect, you're like, are you still doing your art? And you're like, yeah, of course. It's like, I have to get it out of me. Yeah. It just, it just has to, I don't care how many people see or hear it. I just have to get it out. And then whatever happens, you know, that's great. A lot of it is, is temperament, honestly, and our personalities and not like, a lot of people love music, but not everyone's going to want to play. It. And I think you do have to be a very particular type of person to want to create art, to create music, you know, to be a creative type. And not everyone is a creative type. Um, I don't know if you know, you guys know Jordan Peterson. He's a psychologist, but he he talks about, you know, the curse of the artist in a sense. And it's a curse and a blessing. It's It's a curse because it's incredibly difficult to monetize one's art. 
So he calls it a high risk, high return strategy to life. It's high risk because very, very, very few people make it. And it's hard to make it. But those who do make it in the art world, usually they succeed ex exponentially. So high return if you do make it. But, you know, it's, it's in you. You have to do it. And that's one of the things he talks about is that you can't stop an artist from being an artist. If you take them and you try to put them in a cubicle in the nine to five, it's not going to work. They're going to go crazy. They're not going to function in that type of environment. People who are creative types, they have to create it. And if they're not doing it, it's like they're, I'm like that. It's like, if we're not doing it, it's like we're, we're, we're plants without sun and we're wilting. We're plants without water and nourishment. And we're not, we're not able to bear our fruit because we're not watering our art. So you got to do it. You got to do it. And if you don't, you're going to be fucking miserable. You really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Blessing, blessing and a curse. That's for sure. Because <laughs> it's like at the same time, again, you we know deep down as creative people, like fuck, this is going to be really hard to make a living. <laughs> More so with metal, it's yes. like you it's have fun. to know, like you have to love it so much because of how much work it is to write these techie ass songs with like very little return. And yeah. being <laughs> being a, a, a music student my whole life, and and. You know, having this pressure always like, you know, you're not going to make any money. You know, there's not going to be a job. You know, this, you know, that. Like, People are always telling you too. How much am I paying you for this education? Anyway, but, you know, my I have a lot of buddies, you know, that struggle with that, right? How do I determine if I'm successful or not as a musician? Mm -hmm. And for some of them, it's, well, unless I'm making all my income as a musician, I'm not a musician. And, you know, you have to come to these crossroads in life where you make these decisions like, okay, well, if I'm not making all my money, I'm not a musician, then why am I doing this? So I quit. And a lot of people do that yeah. and it happens. Like, you know, you, I always like, I have a lot of bases, right? And I'm like, why do people get rid of their bases? And I find out I'm like, oh, I bought a house. I want to refurbish my bathroom. I'm like, that's more important than your base. You know? <laughs> and they're giving up their art because yeah. they got different priorities in life. But when you decide that, you know what, for me being successful as a musician is like what we mentioned before, the success for me is when the art is out and it's on a medium and Boom, it's like successfully extracted. Yeah, that's mean, that's for me fulfillment. And that's for me is like I'm a successful musician. Um a lot of artists die unsuccessful and then their art's discovered and people are like, Oh my god, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> imagine if you just quit in the middle of his life. Because, and it never got out. Yeah, Nobody yeah. has it. Yeah. That's true. You know, and look, that might happen to us and a lot of other artists where you don't really get the recognition you deserve when you're alive. But look, if you're a real artist, that's not gonna be your main priority. And you know, as important obviously as money is, and we, we all gotta make a living and get a roof over our head and eat and stuff. It can't be your first motivation as a creative person. It just can't. It is not the proper foundation from which to start to make something creative. It's just not. It has to be secondary. I think the art always is first. It's creation itself is the point. That is the point. And I think if you're determined and, and if you take it seriously and if you're passionate about it and you just keep doing it, even if it takes a long time, over time, the money should come, hopefully. <laughs> you just got to keep at it and i just got to keep at it but look I, I i commend you guys like i commend all musicians you know anyone who gets up there on stage and does that because i've done it before myself i'm a drummer you know i never hit it big i still play i'm not in any bands right now and i don't make money as a musician but i do still consider myself a musician you know and even if i never join another band in my life you know and, and cut another record i'm still a musician 
And that's, that's a level of success in there. You know, I never gave my instrument up. I never put the sticks down and just said, well, fuck it. I'm never going to be a rock star. I just give up the rock star dream. So whatever, saw my drum set. really what it's about. (laughs) I can't do that. I can't not play drums. Even if I know I'm not, I'm probably never going to be famous for doing it. It's so important to me. It's therapeutic. It's cathartic. He's good at it too. I'm okay. Yeah, there's something about <laughs> just the the writing process and even just the the practicing and and the performing. All of that is just an an art in itself. You know, definitely it shows the dedication and the respect that you have for the the skill and the creative process. For sure. Right, so you guys have uh, let's see, you put out Dark Machine. It disembodied existence. We talked about uh, that with JP. And so is all this going together in one big album eventually? It is, yes. Cool. And when do you think that'll be popping out? Are you guys going on tour when that happens? Or I think you, you guys announced some dates, didn't you? Oh, is there tour announced? I think there. It's a mini. It's a mini tour. It's a handful of dates on the East Coast. It's our first East Coast run. Oh, cool. That's sweet. Um, because really, we only played one show that was last year. So playing Brooklyn, maybe me and Brett. Yeah, we'll have to go. Is that the twenty? Yes. That'd be cool. Yes. Let's see. Let me That's see. That's the nighttime during the day. We have to go down to see the Galan sentencing, but we'll be. That's yeah. on that day. That's the twentieth. Yeah. Okay. Nah, we can go on that. Yeah, we we'll, go we'll, we'll probably try to make the Brooklyn show. We'll see. It'd be cool oh, to like yeah. see you guys live. I hope you guys can. Cool. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll wrap it up here. We're we're about an hour. I don't want to keep you guys too much. I see the sun is already setting. It's getting dark out. And oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to shout out or any final thoughts? Um, yeah, if you're on the East Coast, you know, um, drop by a show. the The tour flyer is is posted everywhere. Um, if you are not on the East Coast or if you can't make a show, tune in to my Twitch channel which is just twitch.tv slash Nicole Papastavru, and I will be streaming every show. Cool. So. That's pretty awesome. Yes. All right. And awesome. then I will throw in all of your social media links in the description. So folks, definitely check out the, the description. And yeah. you can find there, there they got a Instagram and a YouTube channel. And go like, subscribe, all do all that stuff. Go to show. Got the new video, The Dark Machine. Yeah, I'd say definitely head Share there it. first. Buy some merch. That does help. It helps bands a lot. I don't it think does. It does. And we got tabs too. Yes. Buy, Sweet. you know, buy, buy the tabs if you're up for a challenge. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love tabs. We got people buying the shirts that aren't even fans of band or metal. They're just some pretty cool, awesome shirts. So check them yeah. out. There's some, we got some uh, really cool artists uh, that designed them for us, and they're a lot of fun. I love merch. I've too many band shirts. Brent's like, he gets mad at me when I get another one. I'm just... Never have enough. <laughs> well, I was telling JP about uh, uh, James Dorton from uh, Black Crown Initiate. And we were hanging out. With... They're so fucking awesome. They're great guys. And I'm good friends with Andy. I love him. Love you, Andy. And we were hanging out in Florida with them. And I was talking to James about band shirts. And he was telling me he's like obsessed, obsessed. Like he, he was telling me it's like an issue for him, a problem. He'll like go on one of oh. these like obscure metal shirt websites with like vintage metal shirts. And he'll end up like putting like five, six of them in his car. And he's just like, God damn it. I just bought six more tees. <laughs> <laughs> so I put this tour dates up and locations for everybody to see. Yes. And you can also find this again on their Instagram page. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to like. Right. Subscribe. Appreciate it. For having us. Yes. All right, guys. We'll see you again for another episode later. And we.